10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Good luck, studio. Hello, hello, hello. Another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. How you doing? I'm alright. Um, so, what's this episode going to be about? Well, we're going to be talking books. Books, yes. We've done plenty of book episodes over the years. We've done book clubs. We've done little chats about what I've been reading before. We've also done, well, we looked at a whole bookcase in a spare bedroom last year. But, uh, no, this one is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be going over all of the books that I've read in 2022 yes i know it's 2023 it's old news but no i've had 42 books last year so we're gonna have to get busy we do have a special guest to join us but uh yeah the thing i will say is that i think of the whole 42 books that i read i i enjoyed all of them or i wouldn't have finished them i'm pretty bad like that if i don't like a book then it would get sort of pushed back and pushed back and there were books that i started and didn't finish so we won't count those but uh yeah Okay, well, let's run that theme music. When we come back, we'll get chatting. Run that theme music. Darling, it's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's a positive thing called the High Life, the Shy Life. You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, Paul. Um, I'll, I'll carry you anywhere for potato. Delicious. Hello, campers. How are you? You quite like a big pan, don't you, Paul? Go Shy Yeti. Find out my secret. I think he has. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this. Yeah, I, I'm strangely drawn to Yeti Andrew John's ankles as well. <laughs> but has the Shy Life podcast slowed down? I don't think so. It's all green and meaty and yum, 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 yum. Has anyone seen my hot sausage? It's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Marvellous. Marvellous, Paul. Hi there. So, listeners, yes. 42 books. I was surprised. I haven't read as many as that for goodness knows how long. I couldn't tell you when I last read as many as 42 books. I think um, partly not regularly working. I spend a lot of my morning reading. And uh, the good thing is the books that I've read in the last year... Often they've been so compelling that I, I had to read just another one or just another one. Or um, recently I've been sort of going to bed but then reading at the end of the day as well because I want to read more. So, yeah, I mean, none of what I read is high art. In fact, I was put off those kind of books when I did GCSE and A-levels at school. Um, mostly what I'm reading is horror, autobiography... In fact, for a long time, all I read was autobiography. I used to definitely read in my breaks um, at work. 
Um, but I never really sort of took note of what I was reading, or how much I was reading, I suppose I should say. Uh, and those days at, at work were the last time I really read sort of physical books. This year, everything has been digital except for one of the books that I was bought as a birthday present and then I sort of read it at my parents after lunch, before, before afternoon nap. <laughs> but yeah, so horror, autobiography, yeah, and a sprinkling of other things. But uh, I think they're worth talking about. I've mentioned one or two of them probably um, in previous episodes, but certainly not the whole 42, so it doesn't hurt to, to go through the whole list. Yeah, I think I'd recommend them all. Probably when we're talking about them, I might reflect whether, yeah, um, whether they're ones that maybe I would go back and read it again, which really doesn't happen much. The only books I've really read twice have been Tales of the City, which I, I keep going back to. But, but then they're probably my favourite series of books anyway. So, who's our guest? Well, let's get started and you'll see. He needs no introduction. about books and I've, I've got a special guest it's it's toppy smelly toppy how are you how are you Hello. doing i'm good and in all seriousness one of the things i w- i wished i would incorporate into my life more much more is reading so uh hats off to you for for well, just uh reading i mean i've had more time um but yeah i i used to read a lot and then i Years went by where I might have read one book a year, and, and but this year, uh, well, 2022, I read 42 books. Um, and, that, that's awesome. And I, and I, yeah, I just want to kind of run, run past a few of them because they're kind of there's quite a, a weird and wonderful range. Um, and also, some books led to other books, if you know what I mean. I read one, and then I thought, oh, the, or, or somebody was mentioned, and I was like, oh, I must read a book about that person. Yeah, um, I, I very. I would say looking at the books, there's a mixture of autobiographies, a mixture of horror, a mixture of sort of gating books. Um, there's a whole a whole mixture, but the, and there are other books that I'd started and haven't finished. So I'm just talking about the ones that when I looked at my app, that's the other thing I should say. All but one of the books I read digitally, partly because I, I, I found with the problems I've had with my rheumatism and things, don't always want to be holding a heavy book and holding it open and uh, so it's much easier to read it on my phone um makes sense makes sense um Um, you know i i have an attachment to the actual physical book uh and i love the smell of uh particularly pulp paper as it ages so um i would miss those things but actually you know uh reading books digitally is so convenient and I mean, you know, it's easy to get them, and so I totally get it. I was very resistant for for a long time, but not that I'm an advert for iPhones, but um, I, I do do so much with my iPhone, and making phone calls is one of the the lesser things. Yeah, I, I take photos, I make videos, I record podcasts, I look at social media and websites. And um, if I had I, to hazard a guess, I th- 
I think most people with modern phones, including the iPhone, uh, it's text. And the last thing anybody wants to do is actually talk on the phone. <laughs> I've gone from being the sort of person who said, oh, I don't want my camera on my phone because if I lose my phone, I've lost everything. Whereas now I'm kind of like, oh, no, I don't want a Kindle. I don't want a separate Kindle. I, mm-hmm. I just want everything to be on the one device. So I've, t- I've t- totally changed how I thought. Uh, obviously, working in libraries, I was very resistant as well. And I've got the thing is, one of the things that made it's sort of cause and effect. I've got so many physical books, which now I don't think about reading so often. But it was mm-hmm. almost like I can't get any more book physical books. So if I'm going to get new books, it's going to have to be digital ones. But really, I should be reading those physical ones. But with my recent problems, it's not. It's not always been possible. Or yeah. Or desirable. Although the, the very last book I'll mention, which actually was the very last book I read this year, was a physical book because Nick, um, Mr. Nick Goodman bought it me for my birthday and I read it at my parents' house. Um, Let me just ask you this because I'm curious. Because um, I know the Kindle, you know, you've got a big, fairly big screen, but your phone doesn't. And like, I mean, you've got, how does that go? I mean, you. It, well, it has, a, it has a Kindle app um, and you can make the typeface. Sorry, is it. Is it the typeface? Well, the size of the print. Let's say. Yeah. I'm sorry, I know. I, I'm, no, that's legal. That, yeah. Okay. That was, that um, was kosher. Yeah. Um, you can make the size of the print quite big, so you might only have effectively a quarter of a page on the screen at the time at a time, or um, you, so you can so you can sort of um, fit, you're not like squinting it because it's very small, so you can sort of change that. So I, mm. I don't find it a problem, but. Uh, I've got, there's a number of books in this list that I, I've liked the book so so much that I kind of stayed up late or All right. read, read, read more of it than the, the, you know, I, I should have been going to bed. But I <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, so just to clarify, this is a list of books you read last year, or this is a list of books you're going to read? No, this is a list of books that I did read last year. Oh, okay, All right. um, so they're all read, and I can recommend them and say, and I, I, I think. That is pretty much the case that I don't think I've read anything that I didn't enjoy because I think if I wasn't enjoying it, I'm the sort of person that would kind of conveniently kind of forget about it a bit. And, and the thing is, a lot of these books I was reading in in tandem, if that's the right expression, I, I, I would kind of rotate between perhaps three books and read a few chapters of one, then move over to another one. And particularly if they were autobiographies, it, it would be a t- total change of scene anyway. So um, huh. I've never occasion, done that. Never yeah. done that. Yeah, but occasionally I'd they'd find a book that I'd be like, oh, I really like this book. So I'd kind of stop reading the other two for a few days and fi- and then just concentrate on finishing uh, the particular book that was super interesting. But uh, mm-hmm. So let's get started, I suppose. Um, right. The first book that I, I read was called The Grin of the Dark by Ramsey mm. Campbell. And okay. that's a horror book. Ramsey Campbell is often described as like the British Stephen King but I don't think he, I wouldn't say he's as well known anywhere near as, as Stephen King. But uh, he's somebody mm-hmm. I hadn't read that much of previously. Although I think in 2021 I may have read a book of short stories and maybe another novel. So this wasn't my first Ramsey Campbell. But um, uh, and is he like as prolific as King? Or? He's pretty prolific, and he's still he's about in his late 70s and still writing like a book a year or whatever. So um, th- I think the Grin of the Dark was from. Actually, I'm going to. I've got I've got the books on one screen, but I'm also going to get my Kindle app. So if you ask something like I can't answer, I should be able to answer. So, the the Grin of the Dark was written in 2008, 
Um, I, th- I think you kind of find it interesting because it, it's about an old sort of Chaplin era silent comic mm. um, and, and who's kind of very obscure. And this guy is sort of trying to find foot- footage of their, of his films, but, but it's all kind of it, it, when he watches the films, trippy things happen and the films are almost like possessed um it's, it's it's kind of difficult to to almost explain it but um but but yeah it it, it was it was definitely the, the whole filmmaking side of it and the collecting of their films mm-hmm. um and and the re- perhaps the reason why these films weren't widely uh, sort of available might have been you know more than a coincidence if you know what i mean that that there was something sinister about them which was perhaps why they were out of circulation and huh. trying and hunting them down was was neat wasn't wasn't going to lead to a, to, to a, a good outcome. <laughs> but it, it, you know, I think I found that quite sort of compelling reading. That does um, sound interesting. The next the next book I read was completely different in that it was an autobiography. It was an autobiography of the singer from the well, although you'll you'll know you'll know her, but um, uh, Susie Quattro. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So it, it's sort of. I think it was written in like about about this. Actually, it's the same year as the previous book. It, it, so it goes up to about the late noughties, and, and obviously it's an autobiography. So it covers sort of what she did before she became famous. Uh, <laughs> now, wait. I want to make sure I got the the right. Is this the singer that did Pinky Tuscanero yes, on Happy right. Days? That's right, yeah. Okay. Um, but she also had quite a lot of connections with the UK because before she did Happy Days, she was having hits in the UK um, and she had to. She was in bands in the 60s and then she got the opportunity to come over to England and uh, and she had a couple of number one hits around the time I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so the happy days thing happened a bit later, um, yeah. and and um, I think she's continued. I, I mean, I, I guess her peak was the seventies and maybe early eighties, and uh, but she's still doing albums, still touring, and still doing it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember what made. I mean, that's one that I'd had in my on my phone for a while, but I think possibly talking with Martin Holmes about uh, music. Uh, her name. We we would have been doing an episode where she, around the time we, we would have been recording an episode around the time she had her number ones. Um, so that might be why I originally bought the book, or or that might have revived the fact that because we've talked about the seventies anyway. It's, at some point, I bought the book and then didn't read it immediately, but then sort of actually we mentioned yeah. her again. I, I kind of I do like autobiographies of rock stars, particularly mm-hmm. female rock stars, because they have to go through so much more than the men. And Absolutely. Yeah, they have to um, sort of stand up to horrible people. And And also, you know, I don't know if it's reflected in her book, but she's an example of someone who's been recording long enough to go through the whole incredible change in how the music industry works. So I don't know if it gets into that. By the way, I always make a distinction, and I always like to know, and sometimes you – you don't get the information, but uh, some autobiographies are written by other people Mm. based on what they're told. Yeah. And some autobiographies are written 100% by the person the book is about. Mm. 
and I always, I mean, it doesn't always make a difference, but I'm always curious, like, okay, am I reading an autobiography that this person really wrote or, or is she, you know, telling her life to another writer? Well, you don't always, they don't always admit to it, do they? But um, it would appear that she wrote this one. Um, okay. And because uh, she's a little bit, you kind of forget that she's a little bit for that sort of leather clad rock chick type look. She was in a way one of the first because she's that little bit earlier than people like Chrissy Hind. And, and, mm-hmm. and uh, she, she was there that little bit earlier. You kind of forget that um, she's not quite as well remembered because her hits didn't continue for as long even though she was still recording and doing um but yeah she she did kind of get there kind of what she's she's probably a bit unsung really and 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 uh, uh and should be more appreciated or more talked about yeah do you as she aged as a performer it is has she stuck with the leather look. I think she's still doing sort of quite rocky stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Although I think some of her some of her songs, she wouldn't. It's not that she wasn't beyond doing the odd ballad and stuff as well. But yeah, I mean, some some of some of her stuff was. I wouldn't say it was heavy rock, but it was. Uh, it, it wasn't. It, it was. Yeah, quite quite sort of energetic. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, her early songs. So the next book is. Um, and again, an autobiography by um, the gay filmmaker Derek Jarman. Um, he, he, I'm not sure if he's somebody who is sort of well-known beyond the UK. I mean... Um, I could tell you I don't recognize the name. So this book was written, written during his his lifetime, but he, I think he died in the early... Um, the early nineties of an AIDS-related disease, mm-hmm. but he, he he was very sort of like art, art films and very low-budget films. Um, but I'd read a book of his which he wrote a sort of diary um, from the I think late eighties because he he bought a a, a sh- like a shack by the sea in a mm. not, in a not hundred percent scenic sort of area of the uk quite near a power station but 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 the diary he wrote it's it, it started off a bit as a almost like how he brought that place to life mm. uh, but then it would j- dump, j- jump into sort of um anecdotes about the films he was making at the time um but this this one that i read um, last year was called kicking the pricks and it's uh, and I think it's from earlier in the eighties, a sort, a sort of like an autobiography. I think it's it's sort of his diaries from the mid eighties, about nineteen eighty six, and he's sort of constantly struggling to fund the next project he's doing, and mm. um, lots of anecdotes and it, it, it. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of things going on in the mid eighties. Oh, I'd be interested in that because um, yeah. I, I, I love hearing. Filmmakers talk about their work and how they do it and all that. Yeah. Next book I read was another autobiography or sort of book of anecdotes. It's by an actress called Felida Law. Apologies if I've pronounced that wrong, but um, she's the mother of Emma Thompson, the actress. She, she's ah. actress. She, she's her she's her um, her mother, but so she she uh, is one of those people who's probably in a lot of films, maybe or maybe even films with Emma Thompson herself, where mm-hmm. she might be playing 
the mother character she might be playing. Um, I know they have certainly done films together. They were in the, they were definitely in a film called Peter's Friends from the early nineties. Um, mm. It's funny. I just saw an Emma Thompson movie when I was at DJ's. Yeah. We watched Saving Mr. Banks or Saving uh-huh. Mrs. Banks. It's it's um, Emma Thompson plays the author of Mary Poppins yeah. and the stories about how she finally allowed Walt Disney to make the movie from her property. <laughs> well, this is just a book of anecdotes. The book's called Dead Now, of course, and it's, um, I guess it's kind of from the sort of, sort of thing where you're telling an anecdote about somebody and going, oh, they're dead now, of course. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think that was a very long book, although sometimes, because I'm reading it digitally, you're not seeing, oh, it's 100 pages, you're seeing screens. So, so sometimes a long book, it's, it's not always you're not 100% sure what the book you almost like wonder oh, was, was that a thick book I read or was that a thin book and I think Dead Now of course was a relatively thin book but uh, um, did did she work in uh, any American movies or was she strictly in the UK um, well she she's still alive I imagine she has done things whether she's done things because Emma brought her along or cast her um, boy if she's still alive she must be up there in age yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, she was born in 1932, so she's 90. Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, the, the things, the anecdotes in this book did come from her early career when she was still sort of doing things on the stage, meeting her husband. So, Was her husband an actor too? Yeah, he, he was, um, he's called Eric Thompson, and he he's best known for The Magic Roundabout, which is a... Um, an animation, well, it's actually a French animation, but he—that—that's uh, a story in itself. In, in that he—he he did all the characters, but they didn't. For some reason they didn't have a, a script, or they didn't know what the French script was. <gasps> so Eric Thompson just made it up from what the visuals were. I've heard about this. In fact, I don't know who hipped me to this. It was probably well, you. Talked about it. We must talked about it on the um, on Chatterbox. That's um, what it was. That's what it was. Yep. Um, yeah, she's she's in she's in Nanny McPhee. Was that was that a, an American one? Um, I don't know, but it was definitely played here. Definitely yeah. played here. She she's um yeah she, she's she's in sort of Saving Grace. She's Anna Karenina, Emma. Um, but I think some of those are ones that um, Emma Thompson was involved in as well. She's done a lot of TV as well, um, but mm. more things like. Agatha Christie's Poirot or Midsummer Murders or hmm. um, yeah and she's probably started out on stage and then yes yes yeah. I know she's very she's, she's a favourite um, but I'm sure at some point you'll you'll cover a movie that she's or maybe you already have covered a movie on Matinee Manish could be um, so the next book I read was called Under a Dark Angel's Eye it's the selected stories of Patricia Highsmith now, Patricia mm. Highsmith wrote um, the talented Mr. Ripley books, one of the, oh. um, which is one of my uh, one of my favourites. Oh one, my lord! I love I love those books, but I also I, love the film. I haven't read it, but I've seen the movie. Talented Mr. Ripley is like one of my nightmares come true, <laughs> because I, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but. I've had so many dreams where I've killed someone and I have to cover it up. Yeah, I've had one. Oh, good Lord. I, I think in, in these times where people are getting sort of sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly sort of cancelled or whatever, the introduction sort of thing, 
she wasn't very nice, but her stories are amazing. Um, and I think if we accept that, we can move on. Because I think she perhaps wasn't, she was a complicated person in her private life. She mm-hmm. was, I think she was gay. Um, and obviously she probably gay in a time when it wasn't, and at least initially, or I think she thinks she lived into, into the 1990s, but she was still writing in the 1990s. Uh-huh. She started in the 50s, and yeah, I think she was a bit, a little bit self-hating. Um, oh, yeah, complicated, and but also, I, I, I think that um, she might bring bits of that into the stories, but I don't think you you don't read her stories and they're, you know, full of racist language or anything. You know, you. She may have been problematic in many ways, but it doesn't come into it doesn't in, in my experience it doesn't come into the writing um, in a negative way. So mm-hmm. um, the stories are really good, and also they cover a big period. I think from and, and they're all quite different in twists, and um, hmm. it was really good. It was a really good collection. Oh, these uh, these were short stories. These were short stories. Yeah, um, hmm. I'd actually bought it in hard copy for Toby, but then I kind of thought, well. A, I'm not sure I want to read because it was quite thick. I don't know if I want to read his copy, and also I got to wait for him to finish it, and I kind of want to get started as well. So I just bought myself a digital copy as well. But mm. I enjoyed it. Do you like short stories? Are you yeah, yeah. A fan of short stories. I, like I mean, you well. you've written so many yeah. short yeah. stories yourself. Yeah, I, I am, and when I went back to writing short stories, I kind of got myself back into the the, the habit by reading quite a lot of short stories um, just to kind of get back because you, you realise yeah, it's a skill in itself. It's, and I also wrote very short, like 100-word stories, um, which you really have to kind of get in there with the, you know, you're almost starting just before the twist at the end. <laughs> uh, so you have to kind of, it's a bit like telling a joke, you have to kind of get it all in there quickly before before the readers even have a chance to go, oh, I know what he's doing. Uh, huh. You have to, if you're going to have a twist at the end, you have to kind of keep your cards close to your chest and not yeah. not go not drag it on so long that the, I remember reading one, I, I mentioned this before, I remember reading a short story from perhaps the 50s and it was quite, it was quite a long short story. It took, it took about, th- about you know, a fifth of the book um, and, and it was about a werewolf, quite clearly about a werewolf and it was quite clear that it was the Lord of the Manor who's the werewolf and it took such a long time to tell the story that you guessed it all but I guess it was written at a time when people wouldn't be going or second guessing and, and going oh this is the werewolf story a bit like um, you know it must have been a big shock to have a vampire in Dark Shadows um, when, mm-hmm. when that happened um, whereas now you know uh, people would be used to the, the signs of, of um, and, and it wouldn't be a shock that oh there's a vampire coming to the show whereas um, you know it's, it's, yeah I know what you mean because they took their time us telling Barnabas's introduction, they took their time actually confirming that this is a vampire. I mean, they, it was a while. He was on there a while before he, and of course now, I mean, people probably pick up on it right away or, or reasonably soon, but at the yeah. time, you know, maybe, maybe it came as a surprise to a lot of people. I don't know. It's definitely a, a talent. Um, the next book, I read. Um, I, it's a horror author I'd never tried before called Stephen Graham Jones. I think he's an American, but I may, I may be wrong. The book was called Night of the Mannequins. It, it was kind of a bit of a, almost like a comedy horror to a certain hmm. extent. Um, and I, I wasn't sure. Sh- that could be a bit of a, a difficult genre. Sometimes I'm kind of, no, I want my horror to be 
you know, I'm wholeheartedly 100% horror. Um, although I, I, I can talk because most of the things I do have a hint of humour, if not a, <laughs> a massive dollop of humour. So, True. But I don't, I don't know if I always like it, it, it. You know, that's what I do. I don't want, I don't really want to be reading it or watching a film that's comedy horror. Um, I have to be in the mood because I, I'm involved in that quite a lot. Uh, I, uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So I just. I'll just read a little bit of the description. Um, it's a contemporary horror story where a teen prank goes very wrong and all hell breaks loose. Is there a supernatural cause, a psychopath on the loose or both? It all got a bit trippy and weird, and it was to do with a mannequin being left. Um, so somebody thought that, oh, it's a real person, a real body sort of thing. Um, but then I think the mannequin became alive. Um, or was it, was it imagined? So it all became a bit sort of, ooh. Um, yeah, where's this going? Actually, I, I'm surprised because this is one of those books that I didn't realise was so short. It's only 138 pages. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely read some others by, by Stephen Graham Jones. When was it published? Uh, 2020. I think he's written quite a few books. But uh, mm. so after that, I read. Um, well, I'll, I'll group them together. That there was another. There was a book in between them, but I might as well mention both at the same time. I read two Stephen King books, but they were shorter ones. And they were in his kind of, they were supposed to be more crime. Um, mm-hmm. One was called Later and one was called Joyland. And they were both written, I think, in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, I really enjoyed them, but they were both in a sort of crime imprint rather than horror. But they both had a certain amount of horror, sci-fi sort of in them. So uh, I, I kind of thought I, I wouldn't say that they were 100% crime because Later definitely had a character who was had a, a boy who sort of got premonitions about things bad things that were going to happen um mm-hmm. and, and joyland was about a um a fairground where a murder had happened and again the, the character was kind of trying to find out oh well they never found the killer at this fairground so it was more than just crime which is probably why i, I really enjoyed them both because they they weren't deadpan 100 percent crime that they still had the stephen king touch the thing about stephen king i find these days is that I, i'm a bit put off by the really massive long ones which mm. are probably the, the ones i've not read yet uh, mm. there are quite a few of his i've not read which are massive and i, I and I, I i think in a way reading them digitally kind of you forget that they're massive um yeah uh, it breaks it down a bit you know you, you cannot face by this enormous book that you're carrying yeah um, i uh, attempted uh i've read a lot of king Probably more than any other author, because, you know, um, uh, I, I only say it that way because, you know, there are a hell of a lot of authors out there and a hell of a lot of books. And sometimes I'm a little embarrassed that I've read so much King. <laughs> I, I mean, he's popular. I get it. I, 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 I can't think of anything I've read of his that I didn't like. But it's like, come on, expose yourself to someone else. Besides King, anyway, uh, I I I tried to read The Stand, and and I got so far, and I, I just never finished it. It's the only long one I've ever tried to tackle. Well, I, I did read one other, but we'll come to that later, and that was one that's quite long. But um, I I read a lot of his books in the late '80s, around the time that Tommy Knockers came out, because I I used to go to a well, Nick and I have talked about a bookshop we used to go to, and I remember them having like one of those displays for Tommy Knocker. And that mm. was the first one I read. And then I read quite a lot around that time. In the mid-90s, I worked in a library which had fiction, even though it wasn't a fiction library as such. But because there were students living on campus, they had fiction. And that allowed mm. me to try lots of different writers. Um, 
uh, and I sort of so I kind of moved on a bit from Stephen King and then in about 2000 and well the late noughties I decided to read Salem's Lot which I'd not read mm. uh, and then again had another period of reading quite a few of his and reading his short stories uh, which obviously was another you know when I was thinking of writing short stories I thought oh Stephen King is a, be a good person to read to kind of get me back into short stories mm-hmm. I think and, Salem's and then, Lot may have been my first King book that I read I think it was I don't think Tommy Knockers was necessarily the best place to start just it was the newest one at the time but uh, mm-hmm. but but the good thing about Joyland and later is that they were much slimmer volumes, uh, you know, of a few, of a, no more than two hundred pages. I wouldn't have thought. I, in fact, I did go and buy a copy. I I liked Joyland best out of those two, and actually bought. I just found that there was a nice hardback edition with extra illustrations and things. So I actually bought that in hard because I thought, well, this would be a nice one to keep because this would be a nice. The trouble about having the books digitally is you can't lend them to people. You know, um, I'm not sure that Toby would always want to read a book I recommended, but he might do. Uh, and But I'm not going to give him my phone <laughs> and say, let me get on my phone. So, um, mm. With Joyland, I thought, no, I really I, I really like this and it would be nice if he could read it one day. Um, now, the book I read between later and Joyland was We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Mm. Uh, and, and I know she she wrote, was it The Haunting of Hill House? Mm. Um, and, and she wrote, that was it the lottery she wrote short stories and she wrote a number of novels but she died quite young in the early 60s i think yeah. we have always in the castle is one of her last books uh, it's not made into a film relatively recently um, yeah did you did you know that last segment of dark shadows where frid didn't play barnabas he played someone else um, that that was based on the lottery yeah, we've we always lived in the castle. It's about this weird family living in this this house where they've kind of been cut off from the local community, and and, and it's written from the point of view. I think it's written from the point of view of one of the younger character, the youngest characters. But she's certainly the central. Whether it's written in the first person or I, I can't quite remember, but uh, yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good book. I wish we'd done something like that at school. Um, uh, I mean, I guess at the time it would only have been about 20 years old, so maybe not considered. But actually, my mum would have been working in libraries in, in the early 60s, and I don't think Shirley Jackson was a name that she knew particularly well. So I don't know how, this is one of those things where her name has got more popular since she's died over here. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? All this time, I don't think I knew your mother was a librarian. Yeah, and so was my aunt. And my uncle, on my um, um, well, my dad's brother was a librarian, and yeah, his wife mm. was a librarian. So it was kind of foretold that one ought to be. I guess. But now moving on, I don't. Want, some of these ones I'll move on quicker because they're quite short books. Um, I've read a book called Assigned by, mm-hmm. which is about the TV show Sapphire and Steel, which mm. um, is that show with Joanna Lumley and David McCallum from the late 70s. Yeah. Um, sort of weird it was like about the, about the making of it and all that? Yes, that's right, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. There, there, there was only six stories with multiple episodes, but um, yeah, it was sort of behind the scenes things. And uh, uh, so, so I, read, I read that. Then I read a book called The King of Fools by Frederick Dard, who's a French writer from the sort of 50s, 60s, probably more than that. But hmm. Toby sort of turned me on to this because it was by an imprint that kind of does translations. Of, and he had read some that were like uh, Japanese thrillers and books that were kind of like a Japanese version of it, and then there were none or something by the Christie. Or, um, and Frederick Dard wrote some really good, quite thin thrillers, probably pulp stuff that we just pick up. Um, hmm. But there's only about seven or eight of his novels 
translated into English. I really enjoyed them, and I ended up buying every one I could find. And the first one I read was called The King of Fools. Hmm. Uh, and I won't go too much into the plot, but it was just an int- it was just yeah, they were just interesting little thrillers, um, nice twists, and uh, actually, it probably means I read more than forty two books because one of the ones we'll come to, it, I bought it was like four books in one, so I, um, so I, I, yeah, I must have read every single book by Frederick, Frederick Dard that's available in, in Trans- but I think he wrote loads and loads of them. So I just hope they translate more of them. But uh, there are one or two where mostly I found them. You couldn't necessarily tell that they were written in the 50s. But one or two you could because that the attitude to, it, to the men, to the women, was a bit sort of, I'm the man, you're the woman, sort of thing. But, um, but you know, I think we're more used to kind of, we accept that a book is set in a certain time. We don't get too upset. We, we know that that's how things used to be. But ultimately, you know, um, you're reading it knowing that it's written from a different, in a different it's, not written, it's not written today. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to interject. My only French novel that I've ever read was Pierre Boyle's Planet of the Apes, yeah. which I don't think was the original title. I mean, it was obviously it had a title in French, and but I don't think it translated to Planet of the Apes. I can't remember what it was. But anyways, yeah, I was such an, a Planet of the Apes freak. I, I read read the novel that they were all based Ooh, on. Actually, my, my uh, I know you'll probably be less interested perhaps by the more recent ones you're, you're talking more about the 70s ones I, I guess but my, my friend Patrick who has briefly been on the show and works in film is currently working I think in Australia on what's going to be the next Planet of the Apes film yeah um, that's, that's, that's an exclusive I don't even know when it's coming out but yeah. last thing I last time I heard from him he was some in some hot place in Australia involved in the making of the next Planet of the Apes movie but cool uh, I can't take any credit, but uh, he, he was in Southern Park. <laughs> <laughs> the next book I read was another Ramsey Campbell, and I think it was his, actually, no, it wasn't his most recent one, but it was, uh, I think it was one from a number, uh, two or three years ago. It was called 13 Days by Sunset Beach, which doesn't necessarily conjure up horror, but it, it, it was kind of about a family, well, an extended family going to, I, I guess it was sort of like a Greek island. I don't know, if, I can't remember now whether it was a real island or whether it was a, a made-up island, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was an island where sort of weird things happened after dark and um, um, sort of me- me- menace. The only trouble was where I felt it fell down was that I, I, I don't like to say this about somebody who's obviously an established writer who's been writing for years. Sometimes I find his dialogue is not his strong strong point and mm-hmm. he had so many characters in that book because of the families and the families like there'd be a wife and a kid and there'd be a mother and a father and, and kids and so there must have been like 10 characters and they weren't all it was more because it was about a family holiday but they didn't all play that big a part really there were just a bit too many characters i felt but i did really enjoy enjoy the book but but it was it was a little bit overstuffed with with the cats the holiday makers but mm-hmm. so my, my next two were doctor who related one was um, a novelization. They used to novelize back in the day all of the Doctor Who stories in mm-hmm. the original series. I mean, in fact, for, for, when I was growing up, that was how I got. I knew about the stories I hadn't seen because you'd buy the novel. Um, but I don't know if it was to do with rights and things. Some of them never got novelized. One or two. This one, City of Death, was a story that Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because um, he, he was a script editor on Doctor Who and he wrote City of Death, but he, he, he never got novelized by him in his lifetime. They finally novelized the four or five stories that never got novelized for whatever reason. It was novelized by a writer called James Goss or Ghost. I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced, but he he kept because because it was written by 
Douglas Adams, who's a very quirky kind of guy anyway. There were lots of funny lines in the original. It, it was a, a Tom Baker story set in Paris and actually filmed in Paris in 1979. Mm. And it was a, it's one of the stories that's considered to be one of the best and there were lots of funny lines quirky lines and all of those were retained but the, but i think he did a really good job uh, without changing the story he brought some some funny lines or descriptions because obviously um you know writing the novel you, you've got to kind of just describe a lot more than you know where it's where the tv version it's all there in front of you um right. and, and so i enjoyed i enjoyed that and, and the other doctor book i read was a production diary written oh. by um, it, it came from notes um, that the, the, there was a producer, the last producer um, of the original Doctor Who was John Nathan Turner was the, was the producer from about 79 till 1990 um, and, and it was all based on notes and, and things that, he, that he'd um, uh, yeah, he, he just sort of his production diary, it was quite uh, just you know, little bits and pieces I, I didn't know um, yeah, it yeah, sort of in- interesting. Um, I got through that quite quickly. Huh. Uh, I, there's a there's an autobiog an autobiography because because John Nathan Turner was openly gay in the 80s and sometimes was accused of being sort of stunt casting, having famous people in Doctor Who, f- hoping it would get att- uh, attention, um, mm. and sometimes people being cast in roles who think that that actor playing that sort of character, but you know sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, and you know he was involved with the show at a time when the BBC was losing interest, and found that when he wanted to leave, they were kind of like, mm, "You either do Doctor Who, or we haven't got anything else for you." And, oh, um, well. And and, and 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 so he he kind of stayed longer than he. Uh, he got a lot of. I remember in fandom, he got a lot of stick from certain um, areas of fandom, um, mm-hmm. but I liked a lot of what he did. So. Not everything, but a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got a quick question for you about Doctor Who novels. Um, I'm just assuming that, like uh, Star Trek, there are vast numbers of Doctor Who novels, you know, that that were never part of of the show or turned into the show or based on a show's episode. But it, it, like Star Trek has a whole universe of novels that are the characters but it's not from you know it's not a story from the actual tv show or movies do they do that with doctor who yeah i'd say that happened more after the show finished the first time in the uh, the the novels that came out in the 70s and 80s were usually yeah they were based on um the actual tv episodes but then one of the ways the show was continued after it stopped on tv was that yeah, they started to allow them to do original stories and, ca- and carry on, like Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. Um, he, you know, after the show had stopped, but they still wrote book stories with the current what was the current Doctor, effectively. Uh, and also, since it came back, there's been a lot of a lot of novels, um, spin-offs. Um, mm-hmm. Just one more question. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know the answer to this in terms of Star Trek. So, but like as far as fandom is concerned i don't know if they all i mean i'm sure there's disagreement but i don't know if they're the books that are not based on the show are considered canon or not i i don't know how they feel about it what do you make of the 
the Doctor Who novels were, you know, they're a thing unto themselves. Do they? I would say they're not considered canon, except on a couple of occasions, they did turn novels like when it came back. There were one or two stories that are based on popular novels that were written. Oh, but they changed the Doctor and made maybe made it David Tennant's Doctor instead of the. Um, but I think also in some of the novels. They've killed off characters, like for instance, Sylvester McCoy's companion Ace. I think she got, I think she got killed off in a novel, maybe more than once. <laughs> um, hmm. But but then, but but in the actual canon version of Doctor Who, Ace came back in that last Jodie Whittaker story. So Ace isn't dead at all. So, good. Um, hmm. So so that, but we didn't know for many years. So you could have said, oh well, that, that's that's how I see it finishing. But um, but now she's been in it again. That that definitely makes those books non-canon but uh, I wish I think they probably always were to a certain extent but, mm-hmm. um, moving on to the next one I won't stop very long but this is Frederick Dard again that French writer and this is this four books The Gravedigger's Bread The Bird in a Cage Crush and The Execution of Weeps they're all very different and sort of set in um, 50s 60s France and mm. um, thrillers and I mean the whole four books together is only 400 something pages so they were probably only like a hundred page novels so um but yeah i enjoyed them the next book i read i think it was a debut novel it was called mrs march by virginia fieto sorry if i've not pronounced that right i just think i picked it up because it was sort of described as being a bit like a patricia highsmith novel and it's about a, a woman slightly slowly unraveling living in a marriage um i i was I enjoyed it, but there was a point where I, I was kind of thinking, where is this leading? Where, what is, what is this literally just going to be more, where's this headed? Basically, mm-hmm. she was unraveling. I wasn't quite sure where it was going to, to lead to. Um, I, I hesitate to say it was my least enjoyed book this year, but I definitely struggled. And it wasn't because it was, it was very easy to read, but I just wasn't, I don't know whether I would read another book by her. Well, there's nothing wrong with her writing. She was very, but, I don't know. I, I, I sort of, and I can't remember what, how it ended now, but I did finish it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I liked the, I guess I started off definitely liking the sort of, definitely that sort of style. You could have been reading a Patricia Highsmith novel, but uh, yeah, it, it took a little while to get going. It, it's a Sunday Times bestseller, so who, what do mm. I know? But, uh, <laughs> the ne- next book I read was by another horror writer who I've never heard of before, who I think is also American, Bentley Little. Mm. And the book was called The Haunted, and it was about a like a family moving into a house where the bad things happen, which obviously you you know it's quite familiar territory, but yeah. it was it was it was quite I did I did enjoy it. And I probably mm-hmm. I mean some of these books and some of these writers, if I liked the book I was reading, I I, I have got another book by them to read later on my phone. So mm-hmm. um, I think I definitely bought another book of his. Although the only thing I will say, and it's not, not nothing, it's just personal choice, not, not, um, not a negative thing really, but I found that most of his books are one word titles or very, I mean, uh, and I just don't like that. I don't like books. With, I just find, uh. I just find them very, very easy to kind of like forget or, mm-hmm. or you know, when they're just one word, like I, I can't even think of examples. <laughs> but you, you know, my titles are often very 
complicated and yeah uh, and, and and you won't find many other things called those but i i just find i mean the haunted there's probably a million books with a <laughs> title I, I, I just wish he'd come up with more exciting titles but uh, <laughs> <laughs> funny i've heard you I've learned that about you from previous conversations about the short titles, yeah. um, and and uh, I've named many a Snowcast episode the something the the car the journey. <laughs> but you but you also have a few the more complicated as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the next book I read was called Good Pop Bad Pop by um, a singer called Jarvis Cocker, who probably isn't so well known outside of the UK. He was in a band called Pulp who did a big song called Common People but uh, in the mid-90s. Um, and I was very keen on their band. And this is basically, well, it, it, was an, it was a sort of autobiography, but it came from the point of view, and I think this is where you might find it quite interesting. Um, he was clearing a, a loft um, in a house where he, he um, I don't know if he was moving out or what he was doing, but anyway, he... he he, he was a hoarder, basically, and he, he tells us stories. Like, oh, look, I found this box of matches from ni- 1974. This is I kept this because I love the logo. And then there's an anecdote, mm. and there's mm. lots of these little items and little anecdotes. And also, it's a bit of an autobiography and about being in the band. And, and I also watched a live stream. He, he did a show um, in London where he kind of, I guess it was to promote the book, and you probably got the book signed, but... Uh, I'm, I'm, I wasn't really up for going into London and going to a theatre and seeing him do that because it was sort of, yeah, you know, I just got happy to sit and watch the live stream from here, really. I mean, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it was interesting to him talking about, uh, yeah, I, I hope he does a, another book because it didn't cover the whole of, I think it doesn't even, because his group Pulp were around a long time before they had big success they didn't have success into the 90s but they started in the very late 70s mm. so there's lots more to be told i would have thought and probably lots more anecdotes and items to be discussed but uh, um that sounds like a good one to me now the next two books um I, um I won't go into the plots but another horror writer who i hadn't read for ages dean Koontz. although when i used to read dean Koontz, he was dean r Koontz, but he seems like he's just dean Koontz these days but, mm. i've never known him with the r that's interesting. Oh, yeah. I read one called The Other Emily, which I think was written more recently, and one called The Face of Fear, which I think is from the 70s. It's possible mm-hmm. that I'd read that one before, because, um, but it's been such a long time. I think I read Dean Koontz around the same time as I got into Stephen King, because my friend Lee, who was in Sutton Park, recommended me Dean Koontz. Yeah, I, I link Koontz to King as well, because their subjects are similar, and, and, and I've probably read... You know, after King, probably the author I've read the most is probably Kuntz. I hadn't read any for a long time. And The Face of Fear is one where main, a lot of the books set in a, a big office block and they're being, these two characters are being stalked by this. Um, um, I mean, it does get a bit over the top because they but I think <laughs> the guy is, I think the guy is a, a mountain climber. So they're kind of scaling down the, they're scaling down the, this big office block and the guy's trying to shoot them. And it's, and, and it's quite, visual and quite filmic really um mm-hmm. the other emily was more about somebody i think clones and it was a bit more sci-fi i enjoyed both of them and what i, what I really like is these chapters are nice and short so you know you read one and then you're kind of like oh, i'll just read one more oh, i'll just read <laughs> one. The, the book i read after that was the latest david sadaris um happy go lucky 
<gasps> oh, I love him. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was, I think this, the theme of this one, I would say, was his father dying or, or things his father did in the last years of his life. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it was you know, very good, as, mm-hmm. <laughs> as always. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm such a fan of his work. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite kinds of um, I don't know observational writing that that's you know purportedly like usually his stuff is is about stuff that really happened or he's really lived and I just love that kind of um, story and that kind of writing. Um. Moving on, because we've still got a few more to go, but we're getting through them. Um, I've got another Frederick Dard called The Wicked Go to Hell, which I think it was sort of about two prisoners who had escaped. And one of them, you knew that one of them was a policeman in, in, in disguise who'd been trying to get a confession out of the other one. But you didn't know which of the two was was the policeman out of the two that escaped. So that was quite good. And that was the last of the, the Frederick Dard books that I had. Then I read an autobiography by Celia Imrie called The Happy Hoofer, and that she's an actress, that mm. I, a, a, mainly a comic actress. You've probably seen her in in, in, a British, in British films. Um, What's her name? Celia Imrie. Okay. Uh, Celia, then I-M-R-I-E. She was in a lot of TV, but she's in a lot of movies, sort of British comedy-type films. Mm-hmm. She's, I think she's just turned 70, so she's she's been around since the sort of well she's been around since part of the 70s but she started to become well known in the 80s yeah um, and hofer is um the way i take that is it's like a, a, a stage actor somebody's yeah. gone yeah. through um yeah, I, think I don't know how it's related but yeah yeah she, she, she definitely did work on the stage in the early days of her career yeah um there's she's one of my favorites uh, she's very, sort of funny um then I tried a book called, well, it's called Horror Store, and it's by a horror writer called Grady Hendrix, who, mm. again, um, I think American. Um, it's a horror story. It's, it's a bit one of those, it's a bit like that other one where it's a little bit, it's not exactly comedy, but it's a little bit tongue in cheek. It's sort of set in a sort of IKEA type, um, <laughs> like one of those sort of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's also on the mouth of like a, like a hell mouth, for the want of a better description. And, and, and so it's all kind of, it's it's a, it's not as it's not as comedy as, but the the actual book is kind of styled like if you went to IKEA and you picked up one of their manuals or something you know or like like a sort of advertising sort of brochure. It, it, the, the actual I think I do have both versions. I think I do have the hard copy version of that because it's a thing of beauty in itself. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Then I read a book by Aidan Chambers called Dance on My Grave, and I read that because it was based on a film i'd seen called summer of 85 and it was got me a bit into the sort of genre of gay teen romance type things Mm -hmm. um and and it yeah it's about it it is actually described as a a a sort of book for late teenage for late teenage not not dead teenagers a book Ah. for older teenagers but in a way i always found that's a bit of a shame because just because the kid like 17 or 18 doesn't mean to say can't enjoy it as an adult mm-hmm. it's just a novel but i guess it's nice also if if it can be targeted towards young, younger adults as well oh, yeah. but i um, mean t- uh, think of um you know uh, harry potter was targeted to children but goodness knows adults 
read the hell out of it too. Well, I really enjoyed the film and I really enjoyed the book and I read another Aiden James book coming up. But after that, though, I read a, another Grady Hendrix book, the guy who wrote the horror store book, but this was actually a, a, a factual book. It's called Paperbacks from Hell. And it was literally a history of mass paperback horror, mass paperbacks from about the 60s to the whenever they stopped being, you know, like like really ridiculous titles and how you get sort of, you know, you just have genres of sort of like um, crazy animals attacking type books or um, vampire books or gothic romance books. The, the ones that would just be popped out and they'd just be at every supermarket and they went through a really popular phase in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories are just ridiculous. And it was just a hist- history of those books. And I just saw, saw it and thought, mm, this sounds like something I'd, I'd enjoy. And, and, and oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds fascinating. But actually getting hold of some of the books, that, that that's harder because a lot of them are out of print. I mean, they're probably books that you'd recognize, or at least some of them, because him being a, an American writer, he, he was focusing more on American pulp paperback horror. Mm-hmm. I admit to a weakness for what I think what I call my trashy novels. They're so stupid, Paul. They're so horrible. But I read them. <laughs> but, you know, they're trashy romance novels. Oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah, ah! I've had a... Like phases like that, mm-hmm. that kind of like like especially if it's like written from a female point of view and or female female friendships and sort of soapiness uh, yeah. soapiness sort of plots. Uh, I mean, they're just churned out and printed in paperback. They they never have a hard cover. <laughs> well, following that, I read um, Otherwise Engaged by Donald Spoto. It's the life of the actor Alan Bates, who was, I guess. Uh, I think he lived to the early noughties. He was in a lot of lot of films in the fifties and sixties, and he was a bit of a heartthrob. But he also, I think he was bisexual. I think that's he was married. But I mean, I think he had very passionate relationships with women, but he had very passionate relationships with men as well. But he was also a bit sort of guarded at times. I don't think he would he'd ever he ever had a conversation about I am gay, but everybody knew knew that he yeah he was. So he was this male lovers? Uh, was this an autobiography? No, it was a, no. a biography. Okay. Uh, I'm to... I wonder if this is uh, uh, he, this Spoto, the name I remember there, has written many books about movies uh, and film, right? Uh, I, I don't know that. I but yes, quite possibly. Um, I think it's supposed to be quite a, a a good biography. So I think he's probably you know I think it was what one again. I'm probably I probably saw it mentioned in. In one book, or or something triggered me off. Um, yeah, yeah. Spoto. I think if it's the guy I'm thinking of, he that's what he writes about. He writes about the movie industry and cinema. He was he was in things like Whistle Down the Wind, Georgie Girl, Women in Love. And what was the name of that actor again? Alan Bates. Um, Gee, that sure sounds familiar. An Englishman abroad. Um, Prayer for the Dying. I mean, he, he was in American movies as well. Prince and the Pauper. Mothman Prophecies. <gasps> oh, okay. The Gosford Park. Mm. Was in, um, but, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what led me to to pick up the book. But I think, obviously, knowing that he had that sort of, he, he had the, the bisexual side made me sort of curious. Um, oh my! I'm googling him because I want to see his face. And one of the oh, things that handsome. came 
One of the things that came up is Alan Bates and Oliver Reed wrestling clip. I'm not sure I want to see that. Yeah, that, was, uh, that was one of his famous movies. Um, then, oh, wait oh. a minute now. I just saw his face. Good Lord, I don't. Do I recognize him? Oh, my uh, goodness. He, he did eventually do American movies, but I think he was probably better known over here to start with. No, not a familiar face. Huh. Well, moving on, I read two books by the same author in a row. I read Sliver and the Stepford Wives by Ira <gasps> Levin. I, oh. I, I love, I, I do love Ira Levin things. I love, well, I love, um, I have pretty much all of his books, I think. I mean, I love the Stepford Wives, the movie, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I love Rosemary's Baby. And he wrote so many interesting... If you, I think if you like one R11 film or book, you'll probably like another one. They're all... They're all uh, and Sliver, I didn't know about. I've seen I've seen the movie with Sharon Stone, which was a, a bit dreadful because they changed some of the, the things Wait, in the book. What what, what uh, movie was Sharon Stone in? Sliver. Sliver from about, okay. from about ninety-three, set in a block, big block of flats, but they 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 mucked around with it and split characters into two characters, and and, okay. and the book was far more satisfying. I did kind of make sure I bought all of Ive Eleven's books. Mm-hmm. I've been going through them, but those are the two I read this year. Uh, I bet Rosemary's Baby is a good read. Yeah, I think I've read that before, but a long time ago. So I should be reading that one again. So the next book I read was called My Best Friend's Exorcism. <laughs> the cover is done like it's designed like it's a um a vhs video cover like it's um i think it's great grady hendrix again but but i can't quite read the title i think i'm sure it is it, so it was a little bit a little bit tongue-in-cheek a little bit i mean it's basically what it says on on, on the title my best friend's exorcism it was enjoyable i have a feeling they're making a film out of it so coming to the last few now uh, the next one I read was another Aiden Chambers book, the guy who wrote Dance on My Grave. It was called The Toll Bridge, and um, it was about some teens living on this bridge, where, which had been a toll bridge, um, and, and the sort of how the characters sort of... Um, there's a, a girl and two boys, and there's a sort of bit of a love triangle going on. And, and, and yeah, again, it's meant for sort of older teens, but uh, I really enjoyed enjoyed it um and i've got a couple more of his books to read hmm. uh, following that i read another ramsey campbell and it was his most it was the one that he wrote this year it came out towards the end of the year it was called Fellstones. again it was a bit about a, a weird village where a character sort of had suppressed well he'd lived at that village with this family um after his parents had died but he kind mm-hmm. of found them very intense when he wanted when he got to the age where he wanted to leave they were a bit resistant to it and he kind of cut himself totally off and but he he slowly sort of reconnected with them and and um that, that was a bad idea <laughs> it was quite atmosphere it was quite atmospheric but again i found the, the the dialogue was a little bit weird in a way that helped because it made it you feel well, there's something a bit creepy about this but yeah i was i was wasn't sure how much of it was deliberate and how much of it was yeah his, his style is just kind of in the, I think I have read articles that sort of said he almost does it deliberately to give you a sort of weird sort of, oh, something's not quite right here. Like, you know, like when you have a dream and things in dreams, everything seems normal, but they're not quite yeah, normal. Definitely. Mm-hmm. After I read that, now this, the next book I read, I've been reading, I read this for quite a long time because this is the book that was quite a big book. I read Stephen King's Christine. Oh. Uh, and, and, um, 
yeah, it took me quite a long time to get through Christine because it was so long. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed it. I think I had always been put off by it because I thought, oh, the car coming to life is going to be. Uh, I don't think I'm. I don't think I want to read. I don't think it's going to be very interesting. But actually, it was really interesting. It was. I imagine it's better than the movie. The, it's. I didn't know Christine was one of his longer books because the movie's really just a little wisp of a story. Yeah, I mean, it surprises me that the you know the novel is yes. one of his longer ones. Let me have a look. I don't think it's his like a thousand page long. But, yeah. Um, seven hundred thirty-seven. That's pretty long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty long. Um, but it. it it was it was good. Um, now the next two I read were biographies. No, actually they're autobiographies. Um, one of them was called "Fingers Crossed" by a singer called Mickey Beriani. No, Mickey Bereni. I don't know if that's pronounced right. She was a sort of indie rock band um, in the sort of eighties and nineties. They were never massively massively famous, but they're, and then also they're definitely UK. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it was actually really interesting. Like I, I kind of bought it because I thought, well, I, I like hearing about, again, uh, the, the, the music scene she was in was quite male-orientated, um, and they were one of the few female-fronted bands. But I also found it quite interesting because her mother was an actress who would perhaps be, well, was definitely in things like James Bond films. She might be one of the girls around the pool, um, it, 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 you know, uh, um not necessarily having big speaking parts, but she was in the movie industry and um, her father was quite eccentric and her grandmother was very eccentric. And her mother, when she divorced, her father married a guy who did stunt coordination on the Avengers Mm. um, and then also went on to being a director and things like Heart to Heart. So there was a lot of stuff that wasn't she was reacting to from, from, from her. so before I even got to the music a lot of her upbringing was her mother was quite strict when she went to stay with her mother but her father was kind of the opposite and was seeing multiple women and it was all kind of it, 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 was, it was very yeah I didn't I didn't expect to be as enjoyable as it was because I didn't you know I didn't know about how traumatic her <laughs> childhood but yeah I really enjoyed that and then it's, and, I, I just want to say it's, it's just odd that that the connection to heart to heart because just the last two nights for the first time I visited that show and I saw the first season of heart to heart. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think I've got that on DVD somewhere. I might even have the second season. Somewhere. Um, the next autobiography I read was um, a more famous singer, uh, Melanie C. The book's called who am I? My story. She was one of the spice girls. She was sporty spice. Oh. Um, and I've always kind of, I wasn't a massive spice girls fan. I like the odd song of theirs, but I like quite a lot of her solo stuff. And I've always, every time I've heard her on podcasts, and she seems to be a decent sort of, you know, uh, she she has she's had her demons, she's had her problems, but she's, you know, she she just seems like a quite a, a warm sort of person. So I thought, yeah, I'll give that a go. Uh, I don't usually necessarily buy those sort of really famous sort of autobiographies, but yeah, it was really it was it was really enjoyable, and, and yeah, her personality came definitely came through. She seemed, she seemed very much sort of ground, grounded, sort of, you know, I was just a girl from a council estate sort of thing, um, mm-hmm. and not, not all full of sort of, you know, ego and things. Then I read an Agatha Christie. I, I may have read years ago, but I hadn't read. Um, a friend of mine, Charlie, is very into Agatha Christie, and you might remember that 
my mum has that phone box opposite their house with, with all yeah. the books and all the, you know, she, they got a big bag of Agatha Christie stuff. Uh-huh. And I'd, some of them I brought back for Toby. I, a couple of them I said to Charlie because it's nice to have them, but I don't necessarily, we don't necessarily need hard copies of them. But talking about Agatha Christie again with Charlie kind of made me think, well, I quite like to read. So Agatha Christie again, because I was a really big Agatha Christie fan in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I read a Miss Mar- I used to like Miss Marple more than Poirot. So I read a Miss Marple called Nemesis, where she, she's been sent on a coach trip by a guy who has since died. And he wanted her to work out um, about a murder that happened and had affected his son. Mm. Or, draw- or his son had been implicated and he sort of, in his will, he'd sort of challenged her to try and solve the- solve it. It's quite a quite a fun one, but at the same time, I also read um, there was a book that came out late last year called Marple Twelve New Stories, like short stories with mis- not written not written by Agatha Christie, but written by quite famous. Oh. They were all female writers. Their their take on Miss Marple and um, my friend Charlie, he also got the book, and it was the nearest we got to like a book club in that he he would read it. Well, I think he actually got the the talking book. I, I read it. And, but then mm-hmm. we sort of talk about each story and we thought some of the writers got her really well and some of them had picked on certain traits that may have only been mentioned in one book and then made it that they all seem to be sending her on travels you know she went to new york in one of the short stories she went to italy she went to um, and, and in the book i read nemesis she commented or, or the character that had been commented that she rarely had traveled so mm-hmm. uh, i think because she did it once some people i, I don't know <sighs> how many of the writers were big fans of Miss Marple or whether they just accepted the job because they'd been asked and it was a prestigious thing to be asked to do but certainly some people did it better than others uh, but it mm-hmm. was it was quite they were they were interesting story they were quite enjoyable but uh, I but, wonder if um you know it just may, strikes me are Agatha Christie books coming into the public domain maybe that's why is that possible I'm sure I'm not sure it, and also, there were some really good adaptions in the 80s with a really good actress playing Miss Marple. But then in the noughties, they did it. And they kind of, whoever manages the estate these days seems to be quite happy for them to change things. And they even sort of would take a Hercule Poirot story and just stick Miss Marple in instead. And mm-hmm. I never watched those because I, like, I didn't like the sound of that because the 80s versions were so well done. It just felt sort of they should be done properly. Uh, um, I'm sure they're good fun, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how respectful they are to the original. Now, the next book I read, I, mean, I think we're coming to the last few now, because I think these are ones I read quite late in the year. I read a book called The Night of the Triffids, which mm. was written, I think, in the early 10s. I think it was around the 50th anniversary of Day of the Triffids, mm-hmm. the uh, John Wyndham book. And it wasn't written by, it was written by someone called Simon Clark, who I, I don't know much about, although I think he has been involved in writing Doctor Who, um, and, and plus lots of other things. But I, I, I did see that he had some connection Doctor Who. But it, yeah, it was sort of a sequel to Day of the Triffids, um, <laughs> and, and actually ended up in New York and all sorts of things. It was, it was, in some ways, it reminded me a bit of some of those Frederick Dard books, but with Triffids. Um, it <laughs> it, it um, was quite ambitious, quite interesting. They certainly developed the, the Triffids beyond what was done in the first book. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the, the main the main character from Day of the Triffids. It was his son, and, and that character, the original character, was still there as an old man, but it was mainly the main character was a younger, this was the son of, of the main mm-hmm. character from the original. Moving very quickly on... Uh, I read another autobiography called Verse Chorus Monster, and mm. it was by Graham Coxon, who was 
a guitarist in a band called Blur in the 90s. And I mean, okay. he still does music now, but uh, I was very keen on Blur in the middle 90s when I was going, started going to gigs and things. So it was interesting to hear. He would have been around at the same sort of time as the girl I mentioned who had the hectic family. So um, they would have been on the music scene at a similar time. So it was quite good reading them around, around at the same time. I think we're into the last three books now, and two of them are autobiographies. Well, actually, the funny thing is, the next book uh, that I finished, I started to read because of the th- the last book I finished. Let me explain. I was reading from Joan Collins a book. This is the only book I read in hardback or like in physical. I, I read an autobiography. Well, it was a di- diaries of Joan Collins from about the late eighties to about two thousand and nine. Oh. And um, she mentioned this British actor called Christopher Biggins. Well, I mean, Joan Collins is is British as well, although. I'm sure she must have, have had American residency at some point. But uh, but Christopher Biggins was in kids' TV and he was in you know, lots of British programmes in the 70s and 80s. Um, and yet he, he comes from my hometown he, and he's 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 open to gay and he was uh, he met Joan Collins in the early 90s and they became massive buddies and big friends. And, and, and so I was reading Joan Collins' diary and thinking, you know, how did they meet? And, you know, she's super famous compared to him being you know doing okay and doing stage work and he he often played the dame in pantomime and, and he was in lots of things but he was not in the best way in the world he wasn't the same league as joan collins when she was at her height so how did <laughs> they come i mean that's what i like about autobiographies is how did these t- you know how did so-and-so become friends with so-and-so mm-hmm. um so i thought i need i need to see if i need to get a book of you know i need to get get a, a, a autobiography of, of christopher biggins if there was one and there was, and I ended up reading that and finishing that before I finished reading the Joan Collins one. So he sort of overtook her, even though it was her book that made me buy his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, going to parties with people, he was he was at parties where towards the end of you know in America where where Frank Sinatra was there, and and he uh, he asked Christopher Biggins to kind of keep an eye out. My wife doesn't know I smoke still and things like that, and mm-hmm. um and, and, and you know just bizarre you know you'd never think that he would have been at a party with, with Frank Sinatra uh, it is weird sometimes how these people meet and become friends even if they're completely different mm-hmm. parts of the entertainment business but yeah so I enjoyed that and I enjoyed the Joan Collins one but the last actual book I read which was fiction I, I read because I saw the film and it's called My Policeman and mm-hmm. it's it's set in 1950s Brighton and it's a, a gay love story between a young guy who's a policeman and this guy who works in the museum. Of course, in the 1950s, being gay was against the law, and so it's all very hush-hush, and the policeman decides to mar- to get married, to have a sort of, you know, a, a cover. And, hmm. and, and it oh, jumped- married to a woman. Yes, that's right. So, yeah. And, and um, so I saw the film first, and um, I found it really compelling and really good, and I wanted I thought, well, I want to read the book as well. And the book was just as good. And it was a very accurate adaption. I was reading the book and thinking, oh, yes, I remember this scene. This, these are actually the lines that they said. There was only very slight differences. Rupert Everett was in it. Uh, it shows how time has passed. He was playing the old version of the guy who worked in the museum um, because it jumps from the 50s. The more modern scenes are set in the 90s. And um, yeah, it's all about how the cut sort of how their relationships found out and how the wife reacts and how the, all their lives are affected. And it's, uh, 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the film is definitely worth checking. Maybe maybe one for Matinee Minutia at some point, although it's a bit, I know it's a bit recent, but, uh, but it's very recent. But uh, I heard this guy just sort of broke back mountains set in Brighton, 1950s uh. Brighton, but I don't know. My memory of Brokeback Mountain is that there's no happy ending whatsoever, um, whereas there's a little bit more hope, even though it's a little bit sad um, mm-hmm. in my policeman. But again, I've I liked the author Bethan Roberts. I liked her book, and um, I, I bought one or two. I'm actually reading another of her books at the moment. But uh, but yeah, that's my 42 or more wow. books. Excellent. Um, did we get through that so quickly? I mean, I mean, relatively quickly. <laughs> so. um, no, that's great. I, I encourage you to. I mean, obviously, you're enjoying it, so you'll you'll be reading maybe another 42 books this yeah. year or yeah. more. I've got I've got four on the go um, at the moment. But uh, anyway, um, I might tell you a little bit about what I'm reading after we we, we ought to say goodbye. And I, I might just I might just come back for a minute or two, and I might um, tell right. you a little bit about what I'm reading. But anyway, Toppy, thank you for joining me and, and for um, listening to me ramble on about all these books. But I recommend them all, really. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for having me. I I found it very interesting. And, um, yeah, we'll be back again soon, listeners. And Toppy will be back. Oh, it's nice that Toppy gets a. a Gets to sit down with a cup of coffee and to talk about books. I'm not. I'm not bombarding him with <laughs> yoga vampires, or <laughs> uh, we're not running, or, uh, or or posing for Instagram, or, right. or going up in a spaceship. So um, yeah, just time to sit and relax. Anyway, yep. we'll say goodbye for now, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. Back in a minute. But let's run the music. All right, That, that does sound quite a lot. I'm sure it's nothing compared to some people. I don't know if I'm a particularly um, quick reader. Uh, definitely reading digitally, though, has been partly the making of me. You, you barely realise how much you're reading. Because I've had problems with my hands. Oh, yeah, the rheumatism. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, I don't want to be holding a big heavy book or having to use two hands. But reading on my phone, uh, yeah... I never thought I'd say that, being a librarian. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy reading on my phone. Why why do you not have a Kindle? Well, I have a Kindle app, but I have had a Kindle before now. And it's just extra things to carry around. I find reading on my phone really good. And I, and I, I don't actually have, like, a big iPhone. I don't have a big screen. I have, you know, I don't know what this type of iPhone is. It's just... You know, it's perfectly big enough, though. Well, Paul, as long as you enjoy it. I do, I do. And I've got so many books on my phone I've not yet even read. And I bought a a whole lot more recently. I really shouldn't, but, uh, well, you know, what sort of things? Well, having read My Policeman, it's inspired me to read more gay literature. Um, So I bought more of that. But I've got plenty of horror. I've got... I've got loads. I've got loads of things to read. And, you know, 
a few more autobiographies. What are you reading now? What 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 are you actually reading? Um, reading three books, maybe slightly more. Um, I did start a couple of things, which were kind of, I wouldn't say fallen by the wayside, but uh, I'm reading the autobiography of Pam St. Clement. She's an actress, a UK, a British actress. That's uh, I can't even remember how I bought that. Often I buy things because I'm triggered by oh, because I'm jumping off from something I'm reading, like you know, maybe particularly with autobiographies. You, know, you read, like reading Joan Collins made me want to get the Christopher Biggins one, which I I, I said when we were talking. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good things I've got to read in 2023, but. Uh, We'll see. Of course, there might be things that um, are yet to be released. You could have a new favourite book. I could, but as I say, I rarely go back to books except for a few, um, you know, examples. And I've got so many, like, physical hard copy books I I ought to read. But, I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll see. Oh, it's like a library in here, Paul. <laughs> like a library or a bookshop. Yes, indeed, Paul. You should tell us what you're reading, Cromarty. Reading? I, well, <laughs> I, I mainly read um, articles on the internet. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, yes, well, I should read more fiction. You, you should. So, having read My Policeman, it's kind of got me into the, these kind of gay love story type books. Um, and, well, I'm reading one called When You Call My Name, um, which is set in New York in the early, very early 90s. So you, again, you've still got uh, the whole spectre of AIDS and stuff. And I guess this is written, again, for older teenagers because the two main characters are two boys who, they, I'm about three quarters of the way through and they have, they have met each other. But for a lot of the story, you have a chapter with Ben and a chapter with Adam. And one of the, one of the boys has a relationship with a guy who then ends up in the hospital um, and, and reveals he's uh, so what, he's HIV positive but mm-hmm. he's sick. And then the, the other one gets involved with a fashion, he's very into fashion and his brother is sort of dating this girl who's a fashion photographer and one of the boys is, one of them I think grew up in New York and the other one has come to New York and it's all new to him. Yeah, but they have encountered each other so I don't know if they're going to end up becoming friends by the end of the book. But, um, mm-hmm. but again, it's very sort of... Ooh, quite short chapters quite short chapters yeah I'm, in, I'm enjoying i'm enjoying that but i've bought quite a few sort of I'm, I'm, I'm naughty i shouldn't be spending money on books but digital books are often quite cheap so. yeah yeah i was going to ask you actually because I, I don't know but what's the like just an average price of a of a oh, sometimes five uh, around five dollars sometimes okay. six or seven dollars i mean i think it can depend on the publisher's um, a lot of the things that the ones I've been buying have just been um, four or five, and I and I, even, I found with the Miss Marple books that um, you know you know with Prime you've got the TV, you know you can watch films on Prime and, and that sort of thing. I actually found there's a, a book section of Prime where there are book books that you've got free access to are on Prime. So oh, yeah. I think that Nemesis. I didn't have to pay a single penny for because it was considered part of my existing deal with, with yeah in a lot of ways i i wasted my prime membership because i never took advantage of those and i should have but i never did but uh, i'm reading that book and i'm also reading 
another book by the person who wrote My Policeman. It's called The Pools, and it's set in the 1980s. You do get chapters that are set earlier than that, but it's sort of I think this seems to be all about a tragedy when a child well, or a teenager dies mm-hmm. and how it affects the community. I'm enjoying that one. I've got some, I've got some more autobiographies on the go. I've got so, I've got so many, got so many things. And there were a few things I started last year but never finished that I really ought to go back to. Right. To get to the stage where I was reading more than just three or four books, I was reading like seven or eight. And oh, my Lord. I, I'd spin round, uh, but then inevitably some of the books I kind of get more into and kind of, oh, I just want to finish this one now. <laughs> and one or two drop by the wayside, but so I need to go back to those. But uh-huh. anyway. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to uh, just say, because I know how things work here, on the Shy Life Podcast. I know even though it seems like we're about to end, I know for a fact we're coming back one last time. And when we do, I've got a question for you about books. All right? Well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll say goodbye. We'll say goodbye. We'll say goodbye. Oh, oh, my God, God. It's been good, but yeah, definitely time to come home now. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. Oh, dear. (laughs) What's going on now? Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. Okay, we're back. What's your question, Toppy? All right, so I'm curious, because you've indicated on this program uh, that you do reread novels. And I just uh, like to know, what is your most read novel? Which one did you, have you read like maybe more than twice or who knows how many times? Is there is there one you can pick out? Yes, definitely. Um, it's the Tales of the City series. No kidding. Honestly, Smallpin. I, I've read those definitely like three or four times and um uh yeah all, like all of the series from because because you wrote the original six in the seven uh seven late 70s and 80s and but then he kind of added a few more um more recently and uh uh-huh. oh, how interesting is, yeah the good thing is that he's on he's on social media and a few times i've been a well i've got a couple of his books signed where i went i, I went which a service he offers on his website, but I got him to sign them to Shy Yeti. So, uh, and then I said, I said, thank, I, I, I took a picture of the book and said, um, thank, um, thank you. Um, I received the book and he said, Oh, nice to put a face to the Shy Yeti. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, let's, I can see why you'd read those for the content, but also, they have cliffhangers. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes definitely. And they we were both written, love our cliffhangers. Yeah, they were written for newspapers, weren't they? Originally, the very first ones. Yeah, um, yeah. But again, short chapters, so very compulsive. It, it also goes back to 
the the TV versions in the early nineties. Uh, I remember when I was living in a house and I wasn't out to my friend, and and sort of secretly sort of videoing it and not mentioning <laughs> what I was videoing. And, yeah, well, I, read, I read the books. I've read the first three, three I think, or maybe all yeah. the ones he wrote when he was writing for newspapers and serializing them. Anyways, um, the only two novels I've read more than once, there's only two of them. I've read Bram Stoker's Dracula twice, and I've read Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca twice. I love, but, I love Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, come to think of it, <laughs> Tales of the City would be a great reread. Absolutely. There was another one of the book, one of the later books, there was a whole chapter which was, uh, I thought, um, being very impressed with, I can't remember quite why, but it sort of told the story. Of, I did a tweet and and said and said how, how wonderful I thought. And and it's 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 nice when the person who writes the book is 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 still alive to sort of and, and actually kind of responds and uh, yeah. Well, thank thank you very much. And, uh, That's cool. Well, I, I hope we I hope he keeps writing. I you know yeah, he's supposed to be like working on one at the moment. I know he started writing it sort of during the pandemic because he did a few live streams but um, i guess it could well be coming out this year if he's got, gone on well got him because he lives he and his husband live in london now so mm. um, mm-hmm. i think his next book is is part of the tales of the city because he has written about two or three books that weren't part of that series but mostly his books have been tales of the city books and he's writing one which fits in between a book between two of the books rather than the ones he'd done more recently had been add-ons mm-hmm. sort of book seven but eight or nine whatever i think this one actually technically fits in between book four and five so it's always particularly focusing on a character who you last saw in book four um, so i'm looking forward to i hope it comes out this year mm. cool anyway thank you very much all right we definitely will go now okay babe, maybe okay i mean Bye. Goodbye. Cool. Yes, you're the Uncle John. I've got some books for you. You got some books for me, have you? I really don't need more books. We have so many books, and um, Toby has loads of books. I mean, he has the bigger of the bedrooms in this place, and that's full of my books, but he has so many books. He has so many cookery books. Oh, yes, but uh, you wait, you know, you wait, and you will love them. What? It's, it's uh, books from, from my own personal collection. Why don't you just leave them in your collection and lend them to me? No, 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 no. When I say in my personal collection, I mean in my storeroom of things that are, 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 are things you want to get rid of. Uh, yes. Well, you know, I'm not a comic book person, so trying to sell me copies of the incredible hulk where he's pink or something it's not going to be something that um you can sell to me i'm sorry no no i've got rid of most of those uh, uh yeah uh, you haven't been bothering ryan again no 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 but uh, some planets some planets uh, they're a bit more open-minded about their superheroes they're more willing to try something new are they now it's not that you've bought copies of comics that were printed with with the wrong colours by mistake and, and would otherwise have been binned. Uh, 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 please don't say that. You you you, you ruin my um you know my portfolio. Your portfolio. 
what were you going to sell me? What, what was it that you wanted to uh, pass my way? Well, look, I think you're just going to be taking the mickey out of me, so maybe I'll, I'll withdraw the offer. Well, you haven't even told me what the offer was. No, no, no. You're so suspicious of me, Paul. I shall take my wares elsewhere and, uh, you know, find somebody who more more appreciates my uh, my, 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 my uh, uh, unique taste in literature. But you've not read any of these things you've got in your lock-up, or whatever it is you keep your books and your other bits and pieces. It's right, Paul. I'm going. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Oh, dear, yes, Uncle John. I know what I'm not appreciating. Yeah. <laughs> he ain't all that shy. No. <laughs> I don't know. No, oh, Paul. He's so sweet. Dilly. Hi, Dilly. God, is this show gonna end anytime soon? This is just the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Hey, listeners, very quickly before I go. Um, my friend Charlie, who I mentioned in this episode, asked me which uh, of those 42 books were my favorite, my top five. Um, I think I did say uh, My Policeman uh, when we were talking with Toppy. But, uh, yeah, My Policeman is is probably the one I enjoyed most, even though it was pretty tragic. And, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I, I read, I've since read another book by that author. Um, another four, probably Joyland by Stephen King. That was really good. Dance in My Grave by Aidan Chambers. Another tragic gay love story. Um I was made into the film Summer of 85. I really liked that one. And I read another of that author's books. We've Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. And uh, Celia Imrie's autobiography, The Happy Hoofer. That was also, um, yeah, really enjoyable. But I did read some good uh, autobiographies last year. In fact, all of those 42 books were, were really good books. Or I wouldn't have got through to the end of them, as I said before. I'm very good at not finishing books that I start if I don't like them. So, <laughs> Anyway, uh, I thought I'd just share that with you, as Charlie had asked me. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I guess those would be my top five. Right, bye bye. Six hundred and eleven, six hundred eleven, six hundred eleven, six hundred eleven, six hundred eleven, Sorry, I just need to, I just need to have a cough. I'll mute, I'll mute myself for a second. Okay. No, if you're talking, I I can't hear you. So you might still be muted. I don't know. Sorry. Um, I don't know. Is, is it better now? Oh, I hear you now. We yeah. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, we won't come back. <laughs>
I've stopped recording, so we can't come back.